Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. We have the, oh, sorry, my name is Jesse Vondercheck, and we have the whole gang with us today. We have Elliot. Hey, everybody. Elliot Bassett, Mountain Endurance um, is the name of my company, mtnendurance.com, and I'll take it, you guys take it from there. And we have Marilyn. Hey guys, good to be with you today. Uh, Jesse joining us all the way from Europe. That's pretty cool. And you can find everything on me with my coaching at mcc.coach. So last week we had our very first edition of Catching Up with the Coaches. And we got through myself and we heard a lot about Elliot. We left out Marilyn though, unfortunately. So in order to make up for that, we are- I got away from the roasting. (laughs) in order to make up for that we're going to do an entire episode about Marilyn today so instead of getting a third of an episode (laughs) she now gets an entire episode Marilyn how excited are you about this oh I'm terrified it's like ultimate roasting it's like being roasted by two of your brothers or something for an hour it's (laughs) like oh Jesus Christ So what could be better? Hopefully we can have a little bit of conversation about what you guys have been up to. Um, but yeah, no, it'll be fun. And both of you know me pretty well. So I think uh, I'm in for it today. <laughs> um, I guess so to, to kick things off and get us on on the right path here. Uh, how'd you start your day today, Marilyn? I got up early and went for a little We I call it jogging, jogging, where you're <laughs> jogging. Yeah. And uh, my friend Lauren and I, we have these little memes that go back and forth of a very fast penguin scooting across the ground. <laughs> and that resembles the, the yogging, the yogging look. <laughs> so that's what uh, I did this morning. Yeah. All right. So what, three just months give us ago. some numbers on that. Yeah. Okay. What was your yog? My yog, it's about nine minute pace. So really yogging, you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good. Good. Yeah. Cause yeah. I know you had to, you had, I mean, I, I will get to this in a bit, but I do know you've had some quicker runs in there where you've, you've been moving right along at like an actual running pace. So, yep. but yeah, it's, it's good to hear you're taking your easy runs easy. Let's not bash three quarters of the people listening to this podcast. This nine minute pace is not that slow. She's still, no, no, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I was impressed that, yeah, no, that was good. Um, all right. So let's, let's, let's hit the rewind button. Um, and just give us, Give us a brief, a brief history of, uh, of what you've been up to. And I guess to kick things off, I, uh, let's talk about camp and maybe like how much you rode that week. If you give us a rough estimate, maybe mileage hours or whatever. And then what happened after that? And camp was in March, correct? End of February. Yeah. If you can throw the dates in there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, um, so I guess, like I said, at the end of your guys' podcast, I always like to do, you know, now that I don't race professionally, I don't have like events on, on the schedule. Sometimes I like to mix things up and do different blocks, try some different things, try things that aren't normally being done on, um, you know, something you can't find in a book or anything like that and use myself as a bit of a guinea pig. It's usually driven by something that's going on with me, like, you know, something I want to try, something that maybe is going on with how I feel or what I've been doing over the last couple of years, those kinds of things, like most athletes, right? Like we all go through the same thing. So who better to use as a Guinea pig than myself for some of these thoughts. And cause if I crash and burn, it's no big deal. Right. Whereas if you try it on an athlete, it's kind of a problem. So, um, for a real quick history of the last two years, 
I spent just bike racing and just riding my bike a lot. And, but when I say a lot, I mean, I was averaging somewhere between 15 and let's say on a big week, 20, 22 hours a week. And that would put me somewhere between 300 and 350 miles a week on those big weeks. Um, and I did full race, you know, when, when COVID allowed a full race calendar, I was able to do some gravel races, some road races, some time trials and did well. I was really happy with my results. I, to be honest with you, I won pretty much most of the races I went in, uh, uh, Masters Nationals I went to, I podiumed in all three races. So a uh, short little summary of the, it went well, you know, it went well for, and I wasn't swimming, I wasn't running, I wasn't lifting, I wasn't doing anything in the gym. I mean, I didn't even do a core routine. So um, I was just literally, by the time I rode my bike that much and working full time, I didn't have too much time left in the day. That's for sure. Barely to grocery shop. So, um, so that was the last couple of years. And I certainly hadn't swam or run really since I did Ironman Texas way back in, when was that Jesse? Oh my God. Like four or five years ago. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't remember the year. Sorry. It they all blur long. together. Yeah. But I, it was, I, it was closer to half a decade than not. Yeah. So like, <laughs> So like I hadn't, I mean, a little spurts here and there of a couple jogs or maybe a swim a time or two, but like nothing that resembled anything consistent or looked like, like actual triathlon training. And I hadn't done anything in the gym consistently since I had done my last powerlifting meet, which same thing. I'd have to look at the dates. Was a three years ago. Three, four years ago. Yeah, three years I ago. I thought you'd got done powerlifting just what <laughs> half a year before we started this podcast, right? Or so? No, I actually, because the last powerlifting meet, I'm trying to remember if it was before or after Texas. I should have done my homework before we started recording, but let's just say it was quite a while ago. And through the whole time, I didn't lift weights at all because I'd gotten so big with powerlifting and I was, um, I held on to just naturally some strength so I didn't people would always ask are you still in the gym and I was like no I I'm not in the gym at all um so you know did you say what am I on I'm on my bike six okay. hours a day yeah so some drugs I'm not going to tell you about in a motor in my bicycle <laughs> no. so yeah so that's uh that's like just gives you like a general like you said a real quick summary to give you uh, a bit like a a little bit of like where I was at over the last four or five years is just basically riding my bike a lot and, um, and riding with really good people. Right. I mean, I live in Tucson. I get to ride with you, Jesse, get dropped all the time. Um, so most of my riding partners were, were exceptionally talented and fit and, and, um, you know, and doing a lot of hard riding and good races and, and that kind of stuff. So that was basically the last two years. And that, threw us right into, we have a camp, Jesse and I run a camp together at the end of February, beginning of March. And I knew going into that camp, I was kind of, um, my brain was starting to go a lot of different places. So, so that's where I landed at camp. And then did you stop riding right after camp, which would have been three and a half months ago? Yeah. So that was, um, yeah, the end of February. So right before camp, I had started because my brain was starting to drift towards different places. I had started doing some walks, uh, 20 minute walks, walking up to mock. Um, I had to mock is a hill here in Tucson. That is about how long would you say that is Jesse? 
It's um a mile and a half. Yeah, it's not long, but it's All steep. The, Wait, the the A trail? No, no. Tumac is on the west side of town. Anyways, it's a steep sucker. It takes like, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes to walk up it. And but it's quite steep in certain sections. So I'd started walking that and doing little 20 minute walks here and there. But but, you know, just knowing that I was going to want to start uh, a, diff- a little different process after camp and camp was, yeah, end of February, beginning of March. So that was a good a little over three months ago now. Yeah. So, and then through camp, I would say, what would you say our bike mileage? I went into camp fit. I knew I wanted to be able to be fit enough on my bike for camp to be able to ride well with everybody that was there and be able to, if I got around some of the faster people in the A group, I could challenge them and play with them a bit and have some fun and, and use the fitness I had to really benefit pushing them through camp. So I made sure I kept good bike fitness right into our camp. And what would you say that our camp hours on the bike are or mileage? It's pretty high. Yeah, it's it's right around 400, uh, depending on how, how it ends up slicing out. But it's right around 400 with a good bit of gain. Um, I want to say usually we get around like 10,000 feet of vertical at, at camp. So, yeah, 400 miles with, with some climbing in there. Yeah. Yeah, because well, so, you go up Lemon and you're riding a lot of the hills to the west of Tucson, which add up over time, right? Right. We did Sparrow <laughs> National Park a few times. Yeah. Um, we had kid on the schedule, but uh, didn't didn't quite pan out. But but yeah, so there's a, a fair amount of climbing in there. <laughs> also, you guys threw me for Crazy. a loop. loop. If you're if you're listening to this and you know Tucson, uh, Tuamok is the hill directly next to the A Mountain, so I wasn't that far off. Yeah, yeah. So. It's a lot steeper than A Mountain. That's the thing. Yeah, for sure. It, yeah. It, and, and prettier probably too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so then... Um... I guess where we're, we're going with this, I don't want to just be like talking like a monologue here, but what happened was that right after that, I stopped riding. Stopped. I mean... So I, for three and a half months now, you haven't ridden? No, no. For It was 10 weeks total. So... Till today? June, June 27th is when we're recording this? I'm confused. I stopped right after our camp ended, which was first week of March, and I took 10 mm-hmm. weeks off my bike. So there's okay. been a lot. I've been back on my bike. What would that Wait, be? except one time a week. Exactly. I was just about to say, yep. Um, I teach a velocity class once a week on Tuesday nights, and I was I continue to do that. Now keep in mind <clears throat> when you do when you're teaching those classes, you have to set your effort level just a little bit lower. It's not set. Uh, because you have to teach the whole time and talk the whole time. So I'm working hard. I, I don't, I don't bump my FTP down that much when I do those, uh, but I do bump it down a little bit so that I'm able to talk to everyone and, and not completely die. So I did one velocity class a week instructing it. And that was it. I didn't ride my bike at all other than that. And Jesse can attest to that because he kept asking me, you want to go for a ride? And <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I, I just, I stopped and it's not the first time in, I've been riding bikes since 1999 and it's not the first time I've done that. And I was happy to, the last time I took a big break off the bike or off endurance sports, it was a good three year break, three, four years. So I'm glad it didn't last that long this time. I knew, I knew it couldn't last, you know, it needed to have a cap on it. So 10 weeks off the bike. And in that time. You didn't do nothing. I didn't do nothing. So because you, you ran this morning 
and it wasn't death and it wasn't a 20 minute walk. So what happened in those 10 weeks? And I think that's kind of the meat of this podcast is what did you do those last 10 plus weeks? So that 10 weeks, what I did, which has been a really interesting process. And I have learned some things myself because of how I, from my experience in the past, when I've taken breaks and come back um, to swimming and running and even cycling and, um, you know, different things that I've done with athletes and, and done with myself, I've really learned a lot and had some big surprises to be totally honest with you. So when I stopped riding, I committed myself back to getting strong and strong for me probably looks a little bit different than most triathletes, just because I have a weightlifting and powerlifting background. So I didn't, when I say strong, make sure that everyone listening takes into account that a personal's personal background really matters here. And it might not, what hopefully everyone can learn from my experience, but like, it might not apply to everybody. It might apply to some people, but for me, I said, okay, I'm going to commit to getting strong again. And I set some powerlifting goals again, and actually legitimately went and started training in not only a supplementary in a big box gym, but in a powerlifting gym with powerlifters and strongman guys. And, and they don't mess around. I mean, they train like we do for triathlon. They're some of the best in the world and they really get after it. So, and for the listener, I think the, the takeaway you'd say from the non lifter, so you have your form nailed, you have, yeah. it's like, you're coming back to your lifting the same way a swimmer comes back to their swimming, you know how to do the movements and you're comfortable with that. And you probably only need a handful of preparatory workouts before you can actually start lifting what might feel somewhat heavy. Whereas a beginner lifter would be at square one, spending months trying to figure out how to pick up a doll rod appropriately, um, or a very lightweight. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I was working, the group that I was working with are some really high level power lifters. So you always have a coach there correcting your technique for every single lift and really, and watching you and videoing you and all of that stuff. So, um, really technical, but I, exactly. I already had a good base from my powerlifting background to know, you know, know how to lift really properly. And, and my starting base, same thing, like you mentioned, when you, you know, when you've done something before at a competitive level was different. Like some, like you say, someone else just starting out might be working on form with a PVC pipe or just the barbell for a long time before they're even using weight. I was, you know, up to a hundred and, you know, 135 pounds was like easy starting weight, just working on technique and getting going. And then pretty quickly, up to 200 pounds within a couple of weeks, you know? So it's like within four lifts, I was able to deadlift 200 pounds. Um, and, you know, my bench press got, got up, you know, right around that 105 mark pretty quickly squat. I was up to 150 pounds pretty quickly within a couple of weeks. So that's, you know, starting out, I know that a lot of people might start out with like, 55 pounds for a squat and work with that for three weeks. And that's where they're just gonna be working on form. But I'm with the background, I was able to move up pretty quickly. So yeah. And you're not exactly a big person. You're what? Five, three, five, four. I'm five, five. Yeah. I'm five. Oh, you are. Okay. Never. Sorry. Yeah. 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 No, short. I'm little, I'm not that big, but I do. Well, you're pretty close to Jesse and I, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
in there. Yeah. So, so that I, so what I was doing is, but what I did differently than the other times that I was in a lifting program, the times that I committed to being a competitive lifter, I stopped all cardio altogether. I didn't do any cardio, just like all lifters do. But this time I knew it was really important to me. And I had some running goals as well and to get back to running. And so I started out with uh, those 20 minute walks, um, 20 minute walk jogs, Tumamok and doing the step, the step mill at the gym. And, um, and so I sort of had the two, what I was curious was I was like, I want to see how strong I can possibly get and bring my running back in. And I was like, I want to see if I can do this and not get hurt <laughs> one and like what the result will be. Right. I was like, I have no idea what, how this will go because usually those two together are like no bueno. Right. And so I really just wanted to see like if I did a very, you know, I had like two goals that were completely a polar opposites of one another. And I wanted to see how I could do them and mesh them together. And so that was a really interesting process. And so what, uh, what kind of frequency were you doing with your runs and, and how did that progress over the last 10 plus weeks? Yeah. So, so the, I'll, I'll start, I'll sort of start with the end and then work backwards. So what was been really interesting is by the end of the 10 weeks, I got my run up to a 10 mile run and pretty comfortably. And I got a five mile run continuously. So as far as pace down to like right around seven, seven fifteen pace. Um, I did one that I recorded and I posted that's for a tempo run though. That's not like, you're not magically running seven minutes at easy pace though. Right. No, no, not easy. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was like, I wonder how fat, like, I was like, I'm just going to settle into a good groove here. I'm not killing it or I'm not trying to race a three mile or a 5k. I just want to settle into a really good rhythm and breathe in hard, but not like feeling like I'm at race pace and then hit the stopwatch when I get home and see what it is. And the first time I did it, it was like, 717 pace average or whatever. And I was like, I was so excited and kind of like a wow, shocked that I actually sent it to like Jesse and a few people. I was like, holy shit, like I didn't expect that. I thought it was plodding along at eight minute miles. Um, so the end result, starting at the end, I got down to what I'd say is like for me, um, a pretty quick pace that caught me by surprise mm -hmm. and a pretty long run, 10 miles for me after not running for many years in 10 weeks is pretty long and successfully no injury, feeling good and not feeling stressed about that. Go back to the original question you asked, Elliot. Um, we know the starting point. It started with walks at 20 minutes and walking up to mock and the step mill. The progression from there is really, you know, pretty, um, pretty, like I say, not that fancy, to be honest. It's like, we always think, is it going to be something crazy or fancy? But I really was focused on consistently running every second day or minimum three times a week and just did the same loops over and over again and went as easy as I needed to, to feel comfortable. And I didn't have a watch on or anything like that. Just start, start Strava on my phone. When I started run the loop walk breaks as I needed and, and then come in and each time try and go a little bit further, or a little bit faster in little increments. And, um, I did that over, over weeks and weeks. And then by the end, the only what, thing, when were you fitting your lifts around those runs? 
Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll tell you how I kind of scheduled that out. And, but um, the only thing I changed towards the latter part of the 10 weeks is once a week, instead of doing the step mill, I'd go to the treadmill at the gym and I would do 40 seconds on 20 seconds off for 20 minutes. And I got that down to six thirty pace. So um, I started with, it started at like eight minutes, 7.30, eight minute pace for those, but so I'd do 20 minutes build and then 40 on 20 seconds straddling the treadmill and chip the pace down on that. So I swapped out the step mill, like the hills basically to turnovers on the treadmill. And, um, and st I'm still doing that now. So that's the only thing that I did was not for speed, but just for leg turnover and being able to do that. And it was just based off feel like how much I felt like structurally, I could turn my legs over that fast and nothing would go ping pang. So, um, <clears throat> and yeah, I got down to about 630 pace for those. So um, structuring it wise, yeah, I was lifting five days a week. Um, so quite a bit how many of those are what uh, lifter might call a heavy day versus more of a maintenance day Two, heavy bench day, heavy, heavy deadlift day. Well, I guess when I, I stopped doing squat at, at a certain point, but heavy deadlift day, heavy de bench day and heavy squat day. So three at, um, at a certain amount, a certain point, I eventually took the squat out because I felt like it was too much with the running for my knees and just focused on deadlift and bench. That was the and one. what happens in those other three days. And the other th other days were accessory lifts. So a lot of like, uh, you just were curling, weren't you? I was <laughs> <laughs> right. Like Canadian curling. Sweet. Oh no. I was talking I'm about just getting yoked. You're, yeah. Just like, I was, yeah. I was, what hammer curls, barbell curls. No, but I was doing, yeah. So accessory lifts like, uh, you're doing, you're doing stuff. Yeah. Essentially it's, it's a uh, heavy PT like for, yeah. uh, like, right. Is that fair, fair to say? well like you're fact, you're actually lifting you're doing real weights but you're um yeah uh, so like seated rows yep. uh, shoulder press lat pull downs hammer curls um incline stuff press, that's gonna help you when you have to grab a super heavy weight i think that's the one thing with deadlifting that people don't realize like uh your grip strength has to be really high you have to just be comfortable with with a huge amount of load on so your your accessory lifts become somewhat not somewhat, they become significantly important because there's some people who are failing on deadlifts, not from being able to push off the ground, but from holding the weight. Is that true? Yeah, dude, I, we would do with the group that I was training with. Actually, one of the things that we did, we worked with these big, um, uh, big wheels and it's called a fat bar and it actually yeah. moves in your hands. And so you put your hand on it and you're trying to pull you're trying to pull and you're, you can't actually, especially for me, I'm a female with little hands. And these dudes I was training with were like 330 pounds with strongman guys with big hands and they struggled with it. I got these little tiny hands and I would put my hands around it and it's like literally like a huge pipe and you, you're trying to hang on to it and stand up and the damn things rolling in your hands. And you're like, you're like just trying to stand up with this thing is, you know, I want I, the listener to know I'm thinking of all the jokes you're thinking of, and we're know, not going to say I'm sorry. Them. <laughs> I'm sorry, those. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, so grip strength is, is a thing that you train for sure. So, um, we did a lot, but of also like you do shoulder stuff, right? Like for your scapula and whatnot for supporting the bench press and, and the deadlift as well. Yep, exactly. So we would, we did a lot of the deadlifting off a one inch deficit. Um, and then yes, absolutely. Probably the first, one of the major things to get injured actually deadlifting is your shoulders. 
because um, there's so much pull on the shoulder. So, so the, the, I guess the summary of it was, is that I had these, like, let's get, let's see how strong I can get in this, in this period of time goals. And let's see if I can get my run back going with no injury. And um, I was able to get my bench back up to 135. My uh, deadlift off a one inch deficit, I did uh, 245. And, and that's harder than flat. Yeah, a lot harder, a lot harder. And then squat, I can't remember exactly. Like I said, I stopped squatting. I think I did 175 for- Can we just rep. let it be known that it's more than Jesse and I are squatting? Well, and I always like laugh at my friends right now. I'm like, if we're out on the bikes and something happens, I can lift everybody up here. <laughs> if you crash and fall over, just have confidence. I can move you. So I was like life skills. So, so yeah. So for me, I got in 10 weeks, pretty, what I feel like is pretty strong. Um, I also went from 135 pounds up to 142, which is a lot in 10 weeks. Um, if you looked at me, water weight, it's all yeah. water weight. Yeah. Right. So that, that combined with running, well, you can actually, so that. I know most of that's actually not water weight, but I do want to say you're in the middle of a Tucson summer and like, you're like, you probably actually are carrying a bit more water weight as you have to hydrate more and more, uh, like blood plasma wise, but it's probably like what half a pound, not what did you say? It was 10 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's it's a lot. I mean, if you look <laughs> I only have to put on a cycling jersey to know it's not water weight. <laughs> um, but I will say, so some of the things that have been interesting is um, when I first started running that some people might, they might think, oh, you know, you just were off to the races and started running and all of a sudden we're running seven minute miles. When I first started, man, the pain. Wow. Um, after that long of not running, I mean, my back and my joints and everything hurt a lot. And when you're lifting heavy and trying to run together, like I say, the one thing I did end up having to take out was squatting. There was no way my joints could handle squatting and running like that. That was like, no way. Um, so I did that. I learned that I was, and that might be different for someone else, but that had been like my experience in the past anyways. And so I will and truly confirm that, that, that running and, um, running and, and squatting are a pretty tricky recipe. And really, honestly, you get so much strength out of deadlifting and even bench pressing that I don't feel like it's the right movement for endurance athletes if they want to build overall really good strength. And so, um, so yeah, I took that out and, and yeah, there was a ton of there was a lot of, a lot of discomfort when you don't run for that long. And then you come back to running. I had to run really slow, a lot of walk breaks and just be okay with that. This is going to hurt a lot until it's not until it doesn't, you know, eventually you're running enough and your body gets used to it again, that it doesn't, doesn't hurt as much anymore. Um, I was going to jump in and say, so for our listener, this is Jesse <laughs> bless you. Uh, Jesse and I, it's time to chime in and, and uh, kind of explain what about what you did is replicable for certain people and what probably isn't. And I think one of the first things, and Jesse, cut me off whenever you want. The first things I hear is a person was exercising about two and a half hours a day for multiple years and it was cycling. So it's like dominated, um, but it's not necessarily pounding. And then you switched to running three and a half times a week 
um, maxing out where your longest run was like 90 minutes after 10 weeks of building. Right. And most of your runs are only totaling a couple of hours. And I know you're in the gym for a while, but your total volume of like exercise time was what halved. So yes, your intensity is much higher and, but you were taking a lot of these runs quite easy. Um, and your lifts were very intense, but your like overall work volume is, is significantly dropped. And I think we need to keep that in mind. Whereas most people coming into this would be like having exercised almost not at all. And then what you just did would basically be impossible. Um, and I realized that cycling, you know, you are doing some somewhat, uh, you know, you're doing hard group rides where you're sprinting, but sprinting on a bike in the middle of a five hour ride is completely the, not the same intensity as picking up an extremely heavy weight. Um, so it's a little bit of prep, but the biggest thing is your body was primed to do a lot of work of any kind. Um, so keep that in mind when you are going to switch over to something this intense, Jesse. Um, I, yeah, the other thing is I'm super impressed with your ability to get their run back up. And, and I think that is a really good takeaway that like, um, one thing we talked about last week is, I guess I was talking about not wanting to take like five days off of running or something. And you were like, Oh, I took five years off. And, and yeah, I'm, it sounds like it was a pretty painful process, but it was probably only painful for what the first, maybe five or six weeks, maybe four weeks. Yeah. Not that long. Somewhere, somewhere in there. But I think and people you were, were scared and, through that process. That's the why I mentioned it. Because they freak out. Yeah. And I was like, no, nah, I know this will go away. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. So, but yeah, so you stuck with it kind of through that period of, of pain. And the other thing I, that you talked about a lot, which I think is really good for people to hear, is that you didn't just like say, hey, well, it hurts. I'm going to run fast and just like bear down. You were like, hey, I'm going to like go easy on myself and not even wear a watch and look at it and just know that it's okay to walk, run, or like, you know, well, not even that a, she started walking before she started walk running. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So walking, walking up a hill, doing some, some stairs and then build progressing to running and allowing yourself to take walk breaks as needed. So, so yes, it was painful, but it wasn't like painful in the wrong way. You're able to kind of like know what pain is acceptable pain and what pain is not the right pain. And that allowed you to kind of like in, let's say five weeks, get back to running like pretty okay. I mean, obviously I know that a decade ago you were running a lot faster and a lot more, but, but still like to, to be able to say, Hey, now I can go for a 10 mile run with like my friends and it's fine in, in 10 weeks is like a really steep curve. And I think that's awesome. And I think, yeah, that kind of shows what you can do. If like I said, you're primed for work and like you're, okay with taking it slow in the beginning i think maybe one of the takeaways <coughs> listeners uh, might want to hear is that maybe like trying to do both these things at once like you were able to do that and be a success story um i i would say like you know that may might be dangerous waters marilyn you're shaking your head no so i think you probably agree that like you know maybe listeners don't want to try lifting and running at the same time if you haven't done that in a long time um but yeah, I, I well, do think it go ahead. Elliot. Well, I was going to say, and she had mentioned early on when she first started returning to lifting, she was doing a heavy squat, day, heavy, heavy deadlift and a heavy bench, but they weren't that heavy in the grand scheme of her history. And then it was not that long in, you just switched to two heavy days and only one of which was heavy on the legs. And then on top of all that, she's never run two days in a row. 
So like there's all of these checks and balances um, where like on paper, you're like, Marilyn, you're effing crazy. This shouldn't work. And then you break it all down and you're like, actually, this is completely reasonable. You look at the total volume of work compared to what she was doing is down. Yes, the intensity is up, but everything is very well spaced. And her chance for too much load was super well mitigated because there, there was never like multiple days in a row of something that could be injurious. And then on top of all that, like she walked before she ran and she walk ran before she ran. Um, so like, those are the major takeaways I would say of like, Hey, like, this is how one thing on paper looks like a dumbass idea. And then you break it down. You're like, this makes perfect sense. And then I think a lot of people listening to this will be like, Oh, well I heard so-and-so did this. And then you're like, yeah, but did you follow all the rules? And here were all the rules. And then the first rule was how much work were you doing before that? And so many of people are like coming in to, uh, to this from, oh, I, I go for a walk once a week and I do yoga one time a week. They're like, I'm fit. And you're like, I go hike on the weekend and I do yoga on Wednesday morning. And it's like, okay, that's two hours a week of exercise. Marilyn was doing two and a half hours a week or sorry, two and a half hours a day for years. Uh, and that was post a uh, professional triathlete. Or yeah. Like three to four a day. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but I'm saying you said you were averaging 15 to 22, right? Yeah. So I'm saying like, even if we take the low end, yeah, you're still doing more in a day than most people are in a week for years on end. And that's after you were doing much more than that. That was a step down from before that. So we need to kind of keep all of that in mind, but like how I would say the cool part would be like, how could we scale this to not someone with your history? I think that's somewhat interesting. Um, Marilyn, like Marilyn, do you want to take over since you know a bit more about lifting than we do? Yeah. I, well, I'll circle back to that subject, but where I want to actually like what I think is the most interesting thing that I've been completely shocked by and my peers and pals here in Tucson are probably like they've been like rolling their eyes at me and laughing, thinking I've been sandbagging is when I did get back on the bike. So for about the first week, about the first four rides or five rides, I was really dying. I mean, like really dying. I went up lemon with one of my good friends and she nearly killed me. Like I literally couldn't make it. I was like, I got to Windy Point and I was like, I got to go home. I was absolutely like dying. And then welcome to my world. Then all of a sudden, like literally this was how fast the next week I was completely fine. Like, I mean, weirdly, completely fine. And not only completely fine, like um, I went on a group ride for the first time, not this, like, so this was just Saturday, but the Saturday before is my first group ride. I stayed the same as I always did before like exactly the same. In fact, was sprinting better and faster, hit one of my highest all-time sprint five-second watts. And then this last week, and I did the, the, you know, the group ride here in Tucson called the shootout. It wasn't the main shootout. It was the, like, have the main shootout and then the old man shootout, but it's the one I always go on. It's still pretty damn hard and fast. And I was the same as I always was, right up at the front, following attacks, driving the pace, coming home, no problem climbing. I'm like, and I honestly, honest to God, hand on my heart, have been completely shocked by that. I thought for sure it would take me a good three months to get my bike back to where it was. I was like, my bike is definitely going to take this amount of time from my past experience to get back up to where it was so that I can, I'm not dying out on the, out on the rides. And 
that process has shocked the shit out of me to be totally honest. I've been like, wow, I have no idea. Like, I have no idea. I thought after 10 weeks off. Um, so the combination, idea. the combination of the running and the lifting, I thought for sure, getting back on the bike, it would take three months, especially with my size right now that to get back to where I was on the bike. So I gave it that like, okay, this is going to take time too. And it's been weirdly fine, like weirdly, weirdly. And I, for the last five weeks now, my training has been about 15 to 16 hours of balanced swim, bike, run and lifting. And all of them have been right around about what I was doing. Like, like, like they, it's been surprisingly fine. Like I'm swimming with, you know, swimming paces that I used to swim all the time. I'm lifting my, my deadlift is still at 220. Um, you know, I'm riding the group rides the same as I was before my run is like, we've just talked about. And that process has been kind of a shock to me, to be honest. I didn't, I thought it would take a lot longer. I thought it would take like, like another three to six months to get to where I am right now in a really short period of time. So, so coaches analyze and roast me on that one. I don't know. That part surprised me. Jesse, do you want to go or I mean, Elliot, you look primed up, so I'll let you go first. <laughs> I feel like I always bully the who talks first. Um, well, to me, I, I think this is just a, a huge shout out too. sometimes you have to change your stimulus. And like as people progress, like there's a there's a massive something to be said for like getting in a groove and getting in a routine and how much progress you can make with routine. I think we've probably touched on that almost every episode for however many episodes we've done. Um, and that's really important. And a lot of endurance sport comes down to creating this, this groove in this routine. But then the other thing is when you take a big picture step out, you do have to change stimulus and change what you're working on every once in a while. And I think you've seen this where athletes change coaches and maybe their coach got a little stuck in the doldrums and kind of gave them the same routine, gave them the same routine and it never, ever, ever changed. And certain people in their, in their career, depending on where they're at, you can get a lot out of being in the same routine for like two, three years. Right. But at a certain point after probably three years for just about anybody, you need some sort of stimulus change. And for some people you need that stimulus change, like every 10, 12 weeks and other people, it might be every six months and other people it's every year and a half. Um, but to me, what you just described is you were obviously in like insanely fit and you had the skill set to go back to these other things, the lifting, the running and the swimming. And I know we didn't talk too much about the swimming, but you, it's not like they were things you hadn't done before. And then you're changing the stimulus and you dropped your volume and allowed your body to absorb the new stimulus, um, which was not a new to you stimulus. It was a, you haven't done it in a while stimulus, but you're just fit. And so you get all these benefits. And I remember like Dathan Ritzenheim, the, the runner, um, he switched coaches. This must be like 10 plus years ago. You know, he switched coaches. He was with a coach who was just doing volume, volume, volume. And his new coach, like had him, I'm not even going to say who it is because the new coach is a bad person. Uh, but they, they dropped volume and added intensity for eight weeks. And then he dropped a bunch of PRs and then it was like, he was on fire for a month and then he wasn't fast again. And it was like, yeah, sometimes you need a drop in volume and you need to do some intensity. So what I'd be curious is like, you're doing good now. I would expect you to do good for a few more months, but at a certain point, you're going to have to like slightly shift what you're doing to find the actual sweet spot. Um, because like 
you're adding in those lifts and you were so strong, like as a human being, and I'm not talking about like lifting strength, but you were like, you had all these skills and now you've put them to use. So now the question is like, I would accept And I'm curious, Jesse, what you would think in Maryland as well for you to kind of keep going up for another month or two. But then at a point, I imagine you're, there's going to be a plateau, right? Well, that's what the, the schedule has been evolving. So like over this last yeah. um, number of weeks, as I've combined basically, let's say the four things into ni- a nice balance and where that all falls. Like it was really interesting. The, the last for about two weeks, my deadlift, I was like, oh, I can do heavy doubles at 205. And I still felt really good on the bike and everything. The recovery, mostly the recovery felt good and the run still felt good. This last week, I was like, you know, what? I, I felt really strong. And so I went for a heavy single at 220 um, on the deadlift and it was too much. I felt it like my back was really tight on the group ride, even though I rode really well, my back was really tight running. I felt really sore. I felt the nervous system gets beat down with heavy lifts. So I felt really, really tired way more than from swim, bike and run. And I noted in my mind, I was like, okay, I need to stick at 205, 220 is too much. It doesn't sound like a big difference, but I was like, clearly with the swim bike run, that was too heavy. I was like, okay, I found my cap, like where that needs to stay. And that's down from the 245 off of a one inch deficit when I was just like focused on getting strong in the 10 weeks with the running. So, so like what you're saying there, Elliot, is finding that like nice balance. And every week I'm, I'm seeing like what I do and noting how I feel and like how the schedule needs to evolve into the new routine to see that like, oh, I can recover. And especially like I'm, I'm 40, you know, I'm 44 years old and been doing this a long time. And so, and I'm not looking to do any of them at a professional level anymore. I just want to go like, well, for me, be strong for me, that kind of thing. So it's like, where is that balance and what does that evolve? And it's been an interesting, like little, little, like each week has little changes that are falling into those sweet spots, which is, which is cool. Um, Jesse, you look like you, you look like you, you're leaning into the screen. So you look like you have something you want to ask. <laughs> uh- Sorry, I was just listening intently, but um, I, I do think that's an important thing to note is that like you are not looking to peak for a race coming up or anything. Actually, you're just trying to like you said, be strong. Like you know, basically have fun in in the group settings that you're in, fun swimming with your friends and riding in the group rides. And so like you're trying to find that sweet spot where you can kind of perform pretty well for a long period of time, right? Yeah. And and so I think that like. Um, you, you know, as you're kind of fine tuning the schedule where you can kind of perform pretty well for you, it, it might, it might look like a plateau, but that maybe that that's kind of what you want. Right. So that's not like for some people that might be like a negative because you're not seeing that improvement that you're looking for, but you, for you, it's like, well, you, that's kind of like the goal, right. It's like plateau in a sweet spot in all the sports simultaneously. Um, so I think that that's kind of important thing to consider if you're kind of using this model for your own training, it's like, it was cool that you were able to come back so fast. And I think that's, you know, because a lot of, a lot of factors, like you've gained a bunch of muscular recruitment that you probably have, has, you've lost a little bit over the years and you got stronger in, in different ways from lifting and running. So you got, you did get that little boost once you were kind of back in the saddle, if you will. Um, and, and yeah, like I, I totally agree with Elliot that there's a plateau coming, but I'm, I'm also like, Oh, well, it's probably good. Right. That's good. You can settle into a groove and and still ride hard. And and you got that little stimulus boost and, um, and yeah, but now you can actually like do the riding and you have this new skill of, of running and lifting that you can now 
weave back in, I guess new is the wrong word there, but you can kind of weave it back in and be able to maintain that kind of high level of riding. Whereas if you try to like just jump in from any of your old schedules to this kind of current schedule, you wouldn't be able to play. But since you've kind of like, you know, in a very interesting way, got yourself back to all four, but now you're like, Hey, I am now actually able to do these four things simultaneously again. Um, even though, yeah, it was, it was kind of a cool way, which you, you came about it, but, um, but yeah, in the end, it seems like it's worked really well. And now you can, um, you know, do all four simultaneously, which is awesome. Yeah, it's been, it's been cool. And like for the average, to answer your original question, um, Elliot, for, I guess, average is the wrong word, but like say someone else who maybe doesn't have, like you say, the background in all four wanting to like think about these things and how would they, how would they go about it? I think, you know, it would be, I don't know, that's what, that's the piece that I want to take from this whole experience, like anything, once you've gone through a whole process and you've learned all the lessons from it and you felt them for yourself. And although, you know, I've been keeping a detailed log of like the things that have, you know, gone successfully, the things, the little pieces that I was like, Oop, that was too much. Or that felt like that might, you know, I got, got away with that. Or like, that was really good. I'm keeping notes of that. Then how do we apply this to someone who doesn't have that kind of history? Certainly you have to have a lot of experience in the gym, which fortunately I'm thankful I, I do. So um, for athletes that I work with, I, I would recommend, you know, different things for different athletes, for sure. It might be um, a complete like, okay, if we're going to get really strong simultaneously while we focus on, on, you know, still keeping your endurance up, the lifts might be look completely different or the reps and sets or the load or that kind of thing, which just takes a lot of experience in the gym and knowing exactly what to prescribe and, um, and having a big knowledge base of the different movements that recruit the same, the same, um, end result, but maybe are different, you know, like, uh, whether they're using like a hack squats versus trap bar deadlift versus straight bar deadlift versus like all of these, there's going to be, you know, maybe someone doesn't even use any of that you know it's just it's different it's going to be different for our, every athlete what that res recipe is going to be and then just there some athletes that come from an endurance world they they're not naturally built very strong they're pretty they're built a lot more suited to endurance which is great and maybe they're getting a little older so they're getting kind of smaller and smaller and so then you have to be really careful because if you because lifting's hard on your body when you lift heavy weights yeah it's good for you and you do get strong but it's there is a it it's painful and it's really hard on you it's and it's so you have to be very smart and very careful it's not like you can just take any endurance athlete and say just start lifting heavy weights and it's going to benefit you because there is there's a lot of risk in heavy weights and there's a lot of there's quite a bit of discomfort, joint, tendon, ligament, all that kind of stuff. So you have to be pretty careful with it. I think a, a major takeaway for most people listening to this, you maybe have a significant endurance sport background and not much lifting background um, is twofold. One, when you do lift, you really should start with relatively light weight and really learning the form and probably having a professional help you with that. <coughs> and if you don't have a professional helping you with that, go even slower on your lifting progression. Cause you might be doing something wrong form form wise that really can put you in a rough spot when you lift up a heavy enough weight with improper form. And the second thing is if you are fitting in aerobic activity, swim, bike, run, whatever it is, 
around that lifting, you need to be really diligent to keep the intensity low on the swim bike run, especially as you're like adding in this new thing. Even if you think the lifts aren't intense, it's, you're just in uncharted water. And that's, that's what you were able to pull off. Obviously that most people wouldn't be able to pull off because it's not uncharted water for you. Neither of the things you were doing was uncharted water. So keeping that intensity low is, is massive when you're trying to meld all of these in. And then for someone who's just like trying to do all four at once on a steady timeline, the major takeaway, like from you is like, yeah, you can do what Marilyn did and she did it in 10 weeks, but it might take you a year and a half. And I think that's probably the appropriate um, breakdown for someone who's not, doesn't have any sort of background in swim, bike, run, or lifting. It would take a really long time to, to get up to the level where you were, you know, even doing two bikes, two swims, three runs, and two lifts. Like it, it takes a long time to fit all that in and have your body be able to handle something with some sort of intensity in the weight room plus swimming, biking, or running. Yeah, totally. And the thing is, is, and, to, to note your point of having like good technique and someone there, even someone like I have the background the experience. I had someone watching every single heavy lift I did and not only just watching, but coaching me through it. And we also videoed, and then you would look at, at it afterwards and like every single coaching cue to be like, just as you would as a swim coach on deck, running someone through a swim session with you know, running the clock and giving technical pointers and stuff like that. That's the environment I was in for those heavy lifts. So I wasn't just in the gym pulling heavy weights, you know, it was very calculated and it was in a very good environment with experienced and competitive athletes in that sport where you had, I literally had four sets of eyes on me for giving me cues for the entire lift, you know? So, um, that's, that's really important to note as well. Um, awesome. I think there is like a, a ton of good takeaways there. And I think, yeah, there is I, just the, the entire progression you did and, and then the ability and the, the confidence to take 10 weeks off the bike. And then, I mean, I know you were scared to come back, but I think you, you were shown that you came back really fast, but I do think that, I mean, that's, that's scary for a lot of people. Right. But I think that that was one of the keys and you're kind of you getting to where you are now so quickly. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think that was awesome. And it was very, uh, I think there's a lot of things people can take away for, for working on all four disciplines, um, and maybe getting started in where they're at now to, to get to where they want to be. Like you said, in a, in a appropriate timeline for them. Um, well, thanks for, I don't know, for I, taking the time to, to chat about this stuff. I know it's like you learn a little something from every process, right? And like I say, this isn't, this isn't something that like every triathlete is going to just run out and try. And it's certainly not something we're going to find any textbooks. So it's like if you can take, go through a process like this and take away two new things that you can apply to your own coaching, your own training and get something out of it, then I think it was worthwhile doing, right? And worthwhile noting and tracking. Like I did a, a, a small article on it just to have some kind of written record as well. Cause four years from now, I'm, you know, look back on it and see, or for other people to read through. And then we have this conversation and yeah, it's just, it's going to be different than, um, you know, maybe what classically you can find anywhere and, and you can take, like you say, one or two things that, oh, okay, I'll try that and, and learn something from it. And so, yeah, thanks for taking the time to even to talk about it. Well, yeah. Thank you for uh, being a guinea pig and being willing to uh, share your results. Yeah. Thanks, Marilyn. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, guys. Cheers. All right. See you next time.